Welcome to another podcast of the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I'd like to go back, take a look at Craig Blomberg's book called Can We Still Believe the Bible? And he calls it a subtitle, An Evangelical Engagement with Contemporary Questions. So I've done a podcast on this in the past. Uh, I, I love his work. Um, Daryl Bach and Paul Copan give him a real thumbs up. Uh, he's a, a doctor, Ph.D., distinguished professor of New Testament at Denver Seminary, written a lot of good books, solid, solid educational background, and uh, tons of uh, footnoting. And So this is a book you can trust. I wanted to do chapter two. Question is, wasn't the selection of books for the canon just political? I mean, we hear that a lot. That's a common notion these days, and how we came up with the Old and the New Testament, that basically Scripture is just created by the winning side, uh, and that it's just all fanciful, and they left off the wonderful books and put in some, and it was kind of a potluck sort of uh, way of deciding. So let's do this. We'll see how long it takes, but he's broken this chapter down into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I'd like to look at the Old Testament first. It says the Old Testament canon here. He said, first of all, he said, there are no references to any kind of competing unorthodox Hebrew writings from the Old Testament times that exist anywhere, even in documents that rebut them as candidates for canonization. So he said, there's not a shred of evidence suggests that there was any work that ever rival Leviticus or Samuel, Ruth, Ezra, Job, Micah, any other book in their day. There wasn't a single one that uh, rivaled them. Now, he talks about the development of the canon. He said there are two clear ways ancient Judaism subdivided its scripture. Sometimes it got split into what was called the Law and the Prophets, and then other times they split it into three divisions, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, says Judaism has treated those first five books uh, as those written by Moses called the Torah or the Law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that's been considered the most foundational and significant core of its scripture. So he said, uh, for both of those reasons, he said, we can envision that those five books were the earliest to be canonized, grouped together as inspired and, and normative for the ancient Israelites. But said, we really don't know this from any testimony that they were the earliest to be canonized. It said, it's interesting, the Hebrew Bible places the prophets after the law, divided into the former prophets, that's Joshua through Second Kings, and what's called the latter prophets, that's Isaiah through Malachi. That says the former prophets are pretty historical and narrative in genre. You know, they tell stories. The latter have a lot of oracular or prophetic speech. So with a little bit of historical narrative in there. So again, he says, it's easy to imagine the prophets were probably added to the Hebrew canon sometime in the fourth century before Christ. The last division called the writings, he said he calls it amorphous, uh, compromising, uh, comprising books like Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Daniel. Oh, that's interesting. I, I never think of these kinds of groupings. He said there were debates in Jewish circles after the time of Christ about the propriety of books like Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Esther. So 
maybe some of the writings were not finalized until the late first century. But he said, we don't know any of this. He said, we really don't know. So it's pretty fuzzy, isn't it? So then he takes up the Old Testament Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha. He says, uh, there, there's a collection of writings been called the Old Testament Apocrypha, and eventually those books got accepted into Roman Catholic and or Eastern Orthodox canons. Now he said, uh, they include four books during the Maccabees period, that's 1st through 4th Maccabees, historical novels, that's Judith and Tobit, books of Proverbs or wisdom literature, Ecclesiasticus and Sirach and Wisdom of Solomon. And he said there are also shorter works like the Prayer of Manasseh and the Letter of Jeremiah. He said another 60 or more books, 60, 60 or more books from that period have been recovered and they're known as Old Testament pseudepigrapha because they're attributed to some Old Testament patriarch or maybe a key figure in Jewish history who lived way before the time of the book's actual writing. So that's why it's called pseudo, pseudepigrapha, you know, kind of false, uh, attributing a book to somebody who didn't write it. He said we get some apocalypses there, one by Enoch, and some testaments or farewell addresses ascribed to ancient patriarchs and some other writings. But he said those works were never canonized by anybody. He said they're good background. You can understand theological developments within Judaism just before the time of Christ, but they're not serious contenders to be included in the canon. Well, let's go back to the Apocrypha, the, the Old Testament Apocrypha. He said that became a point of contention, especially time of the Protestant Reformation. They, they weren't accepted by the Jews. Isn't that interesting? Never accepted as inspired or authoritative by the Jews. They weren't even put forward as candidates for canonization with the within Judaism, but they became valued in early Christianity, especially, he says, after the time of Constantine. Why? They were prized because they taught, they, uh, taught on doctrines that weren't found anywhere else in Scripture. Here's an example, purgatory, or praying for the dead. And others were considered wonderful because they were just inspiring. There's a great, exciting read like Judith and Tobit, uh, maybe because the text they contain could be interpreted allegorically and maybe viewed as foreshadowing Jesus, or just because they were good religious literature. But no council, no ecumenical council ever officially declared them canonical until the Council of Trent, 1546. Only after Martin Luther insisted Christians return to the Bible, the irate Catholics said, oh yeah, <laughs> and they formally canonized the Apocrypha. So the Jews apparently drew the line after the 5th century B.C., and they felt that anything later did not merit canonization. Why is that? He says, well, most of the details have been lost over time. He says, but we do know that Josephus, who was a Jewish historian who mentions Jesus in a couple of places, and James, the brother of Jesus. Anyway, Josephus, a 1st century historian, he believed that Judaism as a whole had come to the conviction that after the last of the writing prophets, like Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, prophecy had ceased in Israel. That was it. It was shut down. No more uh, prophesying. It says, you know, some portion of every book of the Hebrew canon has been found at Qumran, among the Dead Sea Scrolls, except for Esther. It says, on the other hand, only three books of the Apocrypha are, are re represented at Qumran. So, obviously, the, the Jews back then were really big 
on the books that are part of our Hebrew canon today, but they weren't as crazy about the Apocrypha. It says, it does show that uh, the canon was being established then. It says the New Testament, just give you an idea again about uh, how do we feel about the Old Testament books. The New Testament quotes from a broad cross-section of the Old Testament documents, but there's not a single quote from the Apocrypha. Now, Jude quotes from a pseudepigrapha, uh, the first Enoch, but doesn't imply that he understands that that's part of Hebrew canon. So I think that's interesting. So he said, none of these apocryphal books claim to be God's word. And yet many in the Hebrew scriptures do. And many of the books, he says, in the apocrypha have historical inaccuracies or they have some theological inconsistencies. So then he comes up, he says, here's another debatable issue. What order should the books be put in? He said that wasn't raised really until after New Testament signs when these times when they started writing books, putting things together in book form. This was the Protestant canon largely followed the Septuagint minus the Apocrypha uh, with the Hebrew canon following in the order of law, former prophets, latter prophets, and writings. And he says uh, you can debate the dates of almost every Old Testament book says in a lot of scholarly circles these days, it's become hip and fashionable to date many of them very late and not a good reason to. Uh, he says the Song of Songs was suspect because it seemed to delight in sexual desires of a young woman and her lover. So you can imagine some people going, whoops, do we really want that? He says Ecclesiastes raised questions because of its pessimistic outlook on life. Which is true until you get toward the end of, I'm, I'm just adding this myself, but toward the end of Ecclesiastes when over and over Solomon's been saying this is the view of being under the sun. In other words, this is the naturalistic, materialistic, worldly view of life. That it's just pointless. You just pile up treasures and then you die. Now, you know, where they say there's no uh, U-Haul uh, in a funeral procession. So, but at the end it says, but God's in charge, and there is a God. Anyway, it says Esther got doubted because it's the only book that doesn't mention God, which is interesting. Now, what does it do instead? Well, it, it talks about the works of God. You can see God's hand in Esther, but you don't see the word God itself. He brings up another point here. He says the unfolding storyline in the Hebrew Scriptures is amazing because it's a remarkable continuity. He said if they're just human books... How is it over such a long period of time, there's so much agreement, there's interlocking of beginnings and middles and endings of later biblical books with earlier ones? He says, think about it. God singles out one person, Abram, promises his offspring will inherit the promised land of Canaan. The rest of the five books of the law describe the obstacles that seem to put those promises in jeopardy, but the way God preserves Abraham's descendants eventually leads him out of slavery to that very promised land. Then the remaining historical books, the former prophets, as the Hebrews call them, narrate the cycles of obedience and disobedience when God's people got into the land. The later prophets all have some kind of combination of condemnation and edification. They really put down Israel because of their sins and the surrounding people, and they announce all sorts of judgments that are coming. And uh, said, so, but eventually, thank goodness, Israel will be restored and the people will follow their God and ultimately uh, there will be a return of uh, worship of God. 
says, the writings that don't take the form of historical narrative depict worship and lament, that'd be Psalms and Lamentations, and wisdom, Proverbs, from many eras of Israelite history. So the books within the writings that do take the form of historical narrative have important illustrations of God's dealings with his people during this time period, Ruth, during the time of the judges, Esther, uh, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, but for the ones that did not come home from Persia, and Daniel and Lamentations during the time of Chronicles and the Babylonian exile. So you get this wonderful sweep of history. He says the Hebrew scriptures form a remarkably comprehensive package of the history of ancient Israel and the relationship of it to God and the way God wants his people to live. Now you said you get all these, this wonderful unity of plot, but he said if you add in the Apocrypha, it says it ruins chronological and theological unity. It ruins things. So that's his uh, quick run-through of the Old Testament canon. We as Christians are probably less concerned with that than we are with the New Testament, but I thought I'd do a podcast on it because we would like to know. And of course, because it is older, it's harder to know exactly how the canon got put together. So it's a little fuzzier, but I'm going to do another podcast in the future in which he looks at the New Testament canon. We have a lot more information on that, and we can be really sure that the books that are there are the ones that should be there. Okay, well, thanks for joining me, and uh, talk to you later.